You asked me how I got my sight. The better story is how I lost it in the first place. I was not born blind. I remember the bright colored domes of St. Basil's Cathedral, the gray waters of the Muscle River. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Killer Serials. I'm Tony Jones. Ryan Parker. And we're a couple uh, dudes with PhDs in theology who like to watch television. Good so, TV. So why not turn that into a podcast? Yeah. And people are making podcasts about everything now. Right. So why not about... Uh, Nerds that watch TV. Killer serials. Yeah. Killer serials. Hey, we're taking a bit of a break this week. Yeah, we just finished up The Path last week. And, uh, you know, that's a show we're super committed to. And we're really excited about... They've been re-upped for season three. That just got uh, announced last week. Right. And um, we helped them a little bit with planning out season three. So... We'll see if any of our brilliant ideas make it onto the small screen. They all will. <laughs> we'll see. Hey, so we're taking a break this week, and one of the things that we like to do when we're not talking about is for other other communities. No, I love I love that that you've done it, Keith. Keith, welcome to Killer Serials. Thanks. Thanks. For Thanks. Being it's here. great to be on the podcast. Yeah, the OA for Lent. Why don't you uh, tell us like uh, who you are and what you do? And then mm-hmm. what in the world would cause you to do an <laughs> online podcast slash study guide for a, uh, a series, the OA? Well, uh, it's great to be on the podcast, guys. Um, I'm Keith Anderson, and I serve as a pastor at Upper Dublin Lutheran Church, which is in Amherst, Pennsylvania, just north of Philly. Um, and I did this project with my friend and colleague Martin Malzahn, who's a chaplain at Wagner College on Staten Island. And is really Martin's baby, his idea. He said, you know, I'd love to do a, like a Lenten study on this, but I just don't have kind of the format and uh, baby, his idea to do this project. He, we were talking just a uh, casual conversation, and he said, "You know, I'd love to do a, like a Lenten study on this, but I just don't have kind of the format. Uh, you know, the space, the audience, kind of do that." And I said, "Well, why don't we do it online, and why don't we do it together?" So we conceived of this project where it was a Lenten study, but it was all completely online with a blog and a podcast, Facebook page, and a Twitter handle. And to see if we could provide this resource and see if we could connect with people around the show. I mean, initially, how was it received? Like, I'm wondering both how it was received by online, because you're an author, so, you know, you have a broader audience already in platform than your own local church. But also, how was it received in your local church? Was anybody like, why is our senior pastor doing a podcast about a TV show that has, like, nudity and swearing and violence (laughs) yeah so small picture and then big picture right yeah the local community and then the and then the the internet i think my church people have come to expect some of these kinds of digital experiments for me maybe not the nudity and violence but view of pub theology so alcohol can be involved but i think they responded very positively about it love my church they're always up for what's next and up for trying stuff, and they're very supportive of me. So I didn't roll it out as kind of an official church project or a Lenten study. I, you know, let people know. I invited them on Facebook. But it wasn't sort of an Upper Dublin project. It was something that people could take part in if they wanted to. So I think it didn't put the same kind of expectation or pressure on people, you know, if the show offended them or they just didn't like the show. It's not like they had to do it. 
you know, for a Lenten study. We had a whole different Wednesday night Lenten study that we did. But just the other day, I had a member say, you know, I think it's pretty cool we would do something like this. And we heard from people, Mark and I both, in our local settings at his college campus and any of my church, and then more broadly from people who responded really well to the idea of the project. You know, maybe they had watched the OA but really hadn't caught the spiritual themes, and so they're like, wow, thanks for pointing that out. Or they would have never picked up the OA at all, but because we were recommending and doing this project around it, they picked it up and liked it. And, uh, and then could stop watching it and binge it all the way to the end. So, Keith, okay. first off, it, it, it's great to hear that there was some diverse feedback, but that there were options for people to participate or not, and there was something else for them to do. But I got to say, the, the podcast itself sounds great, but the website and the materials you put together to go along with it look fantastic. So I um, wonder if you could talk about some of the, the process of creating that, because that's a lot of work. And, yeah. you know, you included each week um, a summary of the episode. You included scriptural references and suggestions for spiritual practices, which is, you know, I'm thinking, how much are you charging for this? <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> I'm thinking about how should we charge for that? But no, it was like just kind of a labor of love for us. Um yeah, we sort of brainstormed the format of what that could be, and it was pretty obvious, you know, some kind of summary with the spiritual theme, scripture references, kind of check the box a little bit, but we made some interesting connections with scripture, and one of the things Mark really wanted to do was the spiritual practices based on each episode, which I thought was brilliant, because the show is so much about embodied spirituality or embodied faith or hope or, you know, whatever term you might like to use. So there's a physicality to the entire show, like with the minutes and stuff. And so it made perfect sense that we would do these spiritual practices. Um, my inspiration for the platform that we created using Medium, which I love as a blogging and writing platform, and then SoundCloud for our podcast to embed on there, was really inspired by uh, the ringer.com, which is a total sports website that's run by Bill Simmons. And yeah, great, I follow that. Yeah. Yeah, I read it religiously. I think Bill Simmons is uh, r- right on the forefront of thinking about, you know, digital platforms and media technologies. And so I just, I'm a regular reader and I listen to his podcast all the time. And so that was actually the model that I borrowed for the OA for Lent. You, you say it was Martin. Uh, unfortunately, Martin's not with us and it was his idea. But like, what about this show? Like if, if pastors are looking around for cultural artifacts to bring into their church life, pastors use, uh, you know, video clips in their sermons or they use a splice of a song or they quote a poem in their weekly pastoral email or whatever. This is a very different way to engage with a piece of popular culture and what like by what criteria did you use to choose this particular uh this particular tv show i think that was really all martin he had watched it first and then he recommended it to me um and i went in i hadn't i didn't even look at the preview i'm somebody that likes to be surprised uh, when i watch a movie or tv shows and so i went in totally cold uh, and uh, like a lot of people, I thought, uh, this is um, interesting. And then if you stay with it, you know, it builds and builds. And I think what Art saw in it was all the religious and spiritual things that were just under the surface um, that could really be explored in depth. So 
one of the observations we made through the course of our podcasting was so much of our material in the church when we show it is very G-rated. I mean, because you're you're putting it on for a broader audience. Of course, this is not. And so it felt really interesting to us, I think, to engage with something that had a lot more of the complexities. It didn't tie it up into easy answers, and there's a lot of ambiguity. And you can look at the show in lots of different ways. And I think that was very inviting for us to then, you know, kind of bring our take and our approach to it. Keith, you talked about um, some of the scriptural references in the process of building out that content. What was mm-hmm. the most, what was the biggest leap you made? Right? Because <laughs> you said some of them were surprising. What was the, you know, you're trying to shoehorn this thing in there. What was the, you're like, all right, we think we got something, but it's a stretch. What was that for you? Or for, for both yeah. of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, I wonder what Martin would say. We split the we split the the episodes. I did the odd episodes. He did the even episodes. There were certainly some moments when you feel like, oh, this is pushing it a little bit. I mean, the ones that stand out maybe weren't quite the pushes, but you know, if you're imagining them down in the mine, thinking about Daniel in the lion's den, or um, uh, you know, people calling out for help, or one of the more interesting ones for me was about uh, names and naming, because the OA is so important, and then that mystery of what that name means gets unfolded through the whole series. So, starting at the beginning, you know, with episode one, sort of, who do you say that I am, Jesus asks, and then later on, revisiting that when at the burning bush, and, you know, God says, I am who I am, as that name is revealed. Um, so, Part, yeah, um, I'd say part of the challenge for me in picking the scripture readings was not to make it almost too easy, you know, to push it a little bit and not give kind of the easy Sunday school answer or the answer is always Jesus, um, but to dig in a little bit to to those texts. What's something that, looking back on it and the experience, is there a takeaway that either that the two of you had in reflecting on the process or in conversation with people who participated that you mm-hmm. feel like would only come out of an engagement with the, as Tony says, a cultural artifact and not just kind the of Bible. traditionally yeah. accepted. The Bible and the Lutheran liturgy. <laughs> yeah. What, what's something, right. and there may not be, but if there is, I think that would be interesting to hear. Well, I think the, just, just understanding appreciating how people are consuming content now, right? So streaming is everything, and there are all these reports about how much Netflix is investing in, in new projects, Amazon, and Apple's trying to get into that game. So this huge shift in the way that people are consuming content, right? Which I think we have to get our heads around in the church because that has huge implications for faith formation when we're thinking about what we're providing, when we're providing, and streaming and binge-watching is all about watching when you want to watch and watching at your own pace. If you want to watch it one season in one sitting, which I've done before with other shows, or you want to, you know, kind of watch it over time, you can you can do that too. And so, in terms of faith formation, one of my learnings was you can make these materials available. People can then engage with them at their own pace. Uh, they can linger. Um, they can binge-watch and go back. You know, what I'm interested to see moving forward is how many people, it was the OA for Lent, but how many people after Lent will tune in to the show and then engage with this content? And then how many people next Lent 
when they're looking for a project or you know for a theme to do it in their local settings next Lent, you know we'll use this material again. So I'm going to be watching kind of the long tail of of all this content, um, which goes along with, uh, how we think about streaming content as well. Yeah. Well, I, I want to shift gears a little bit now, Keith, and ask you about the show itself. Um, mm-hmm. I really have mixed feelings about the show, the OA. You know, it's funny nowadays, we watch these shows and, you know, we've just like spent 13 weeks talking about a show that is popular, but not like crazy popular. Like I meet people all the time and, I, and I'm like, oh yeah, blah, 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 The Path. And then like, oh, The Path, I've never heard of it. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's on Hulu. And they're like, what's Hulu? And you say, and then I'm always like, did you watch Breaking Bad? Because the guy who was in it, you know, and then the, like that. And, and so, you know, you've got, a, you've got a show like last summer, Stranger Things, that was just mm-hmm. insanely popular, which yeah. is on Netflix. And then you've got a show like The OA, which I felt like a lot of people were talking about right when it launched, but then I didn't hear yep. a lot of buzz about it except people were super pissed off about the last episode. Like <laughs> like it was almost like it was almost a Saint Elsewhere bait and switch, you know, at the on, in the last episode. But, but I, I want to talk about the last episode, but first I want to talk about the show overall. You even kind of mentioned it. It's a bit of a slow build. Like yes. I didn't want to watch more than one episode at a time. I felt like I wasn't I wasn't super drawn to the protagonist, the OA. Like, she didn't totally hook me in. I thought that her mother and father were very compelling characters because there was yeah. a lot of moral ambiguity with them. Yeah. And yeah. You, you could also see their struggling marriage and they couldn't have children and they adopted later in life. You know, and there's all this, right. there's all these layers of complexity with them that I felt like the OA, she was almost an automaton. She was almost... Right. A, an emotionless uh, robot, which I guess. So, anyways, kind of ther- I'm, I'm, or, or kind of ethereal, if you want to. Oh yeah, you, you could say way, almost maybe. almost angelic in a way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which, um, uh, and but you also think like there is a genre right now of like this fits in a genre of captive stories, like mm. Brie Larson's movie Room and Kimmy Schmidt. You know, there's, there's, so there's a lot going on here. So I'm just wondering in general, like, where are you at as a, as a critic and a consumer of media and television on what, what grade do you give the show and why? I couldn't give it an A. I mean, I think for me, shows like Game of Thrones, which I binge watch all six seasons last summer, uh, which is kind of insane to do. Holy cow. <laughs> wow, did you get a, did, think, did, did your church give you a sabbatical? He got an iPhone. Well, I, I figured that if I got the free trial for HBO now and then maybe paid one more month, it would cost me $15 to binge watch the entire six seasons, which I did all last summer. Dude, that's man. a smart consumer. Yeah, you're like, that's like 30 cents an episode or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it may have broken me for a little while, I have to say. Oh, my God. Um, but I did get some sermons out of it. <laughs> um, nice. So I would put it like that as a A+. Plus. I mean, I love House of Cards, so I might put that as an A, though the last season I didn't love as much as the earlier seasons. So I might give this a B or possibly, if you push me, a B minus. Um, I'm not sure that I like sci-fi. I like the kind of genre. I like the female protagonist, generally speaking, in shows and in movies, also music. So 
I think it would be something I would have found eventually, but it was really because Martin put me onto it. And then it really did take a little while for me to to hang in there. You know, when they went to the mine, I wasn't quite expecting that. The first episode was this whole backstory. I love origin stories. That's yeah. what I love about all superhero movies, right? There's all this backstory, and it all plays out. And I'm thinking, that's what we're getting here. It's like a whole season of a backstory. This is going to be really good, origin stories. And then she went to the mine. I was like, oh, what the hell? And then it was really probably to the end of episode five, like Scott's resurrection, that I was really sold. That's the moment I texted Martin and said, holy shit, look at this. But so it took me a little while even to embrace the series. Let's talk about one of the things that is so intriguing, I think, about – let's talk about the last episode and then I want to circle back to something. The last episode, people are – and we're just going to – I mean, if you haven't watched the show, like (laughs) – Why the heck are you listening to this? Yeah, this is – we're going to – spoiler alert, blah, blah, blah. Um, The people are frustrated with the last episode because you don't know if she's – for the first time, you really wonder if she's making it all up and if she's just crazy. And maybe her mom is the sane one. You know, you you, you think at a certain point, like, this is – this is like um, Augustine's mom, um, Monica, <laughs> chasing him, right? Chasing him up through the Italian peninsula until he converts to Christianity finally. Um, right. But then you get to the point at the end where you're like, wow, maybe she is crazy. And mm. then they do the dance and it works. But, right. it, but it's not magic. It just works you you guess although it's a, there's a, some suspension of disbelief because like why wouldn't um, uh you know a a shooter with an a, assault rifle shoot the people who are get up getting up and doing the crazy dance like would that really stun right. him long enough for the other guy to so there's some suspension of disbelief but as you yep. and I were like emailing or about it or, or whatever facebook and I can't remember about it or no twitter mm-hmm. twittering about it it's hard to keep them all yep. straight but like yep. you suspended belief so long in this OA show to be like right. suddenly in the last episode you're you're a literalist um, <laughs> What what did you make of the last episode and what did you make of people's frustration with it? People told me, like, I, I had multiple people tell me, watch the whole show, just don't watch the last episode because it'll ruin the wow. series for you. Really? Yes. I thought it I thought it saved the series because I thought at the end of episode five with Scott, that was like this highlight moment. And then we were off to Cuba and like these were two shorter episodes, six and seven were not even an hour, you know, or close to an hour long. And and I was I was sort of like really questioning at six and seven. So if you were to have lost me somewhere, first it would have been the mine when that first shows up, and then six and seven. I'm sort of like, Ugh. and then eight. I thought at least tried to tie all that together. I think maybe they could have been planting the seeds of doubt much earlier on in the series. You know, her parents were always. Yes. I mean, part of her back yeah, medical history good, right? was yeah. there, but. You know, you could have had more of that, and so you're carrying that tension. Is she who she thinks she is? Is she delusional? You know, you have the FBI agent who really believes in her quite a bit and sort of vouches for her to the audience. So I could see where you'd want to have that doubt planted much earlier and then play that out. But I thought eight, you know, if you're going to go all the way to eight, if you're going to watch the whole series and you're like, oh, I'm okay with the movements, I'm okay with the mind, with NDEs and the rings of Saturn— yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I I can I can go for that. And then I was shocked at the end right, that she was shot and then had never put together like, oh right, somebody has to die. 
you know, for for them to travel to, or, or, you know, have a near-death experience for them to go into whatever dimension or cross whatever threshold that she was crossing which, there. At which, the by the way, speaking of suspension of disbelief, let me just also say as somebody who has has multiple times fired an AR-15 assault rifle, you don't get yeah. shot in the chest with that. And, and like, they don't wheel you out on the stretcher and you're still talking to people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, giving the thumbs up. Like, you take an assault <laughs> rifle bullet to the chest, it is over. You, yeah. It's like alien. <laughs> yeah, your chest. So anyways, there's another little suspension of disbelief. Um, um, but... Uh, okay, so you you guys have this quote at the top of your Medium page, which people can find. If they, all people have to do is Google the OA for Lent, and they're going to come up with your things. Because I mean, nice yep. branding. No one else has done this, yeah. <laughs> so you're not like you're not fighting killing for it. like uh, search engine uh, placement. But okay, right. there's, here's what the OA, which we all know now know, stands for the original angel. There will come a point. When you'll see why you're here. She's saying this to her her little band of disciples. Yeah. What you might do together, how you could help people that you'll never meet. But you will have mm-hmm. to pretend to trust me until you actually do. So good. Now, here's something that um, as someone who's in ministry, you know that there... Do you guys, you guys are Lutheran. Do you do communion once a month or once a week? Once a week? Once a week. Every mm-hmm. week. You know yeah. there are people who see you do the communion liturgy, and you do. You, now, do you have to? I, I'm asking. This is inside baseball, but I have yeah. a point. Do you mm-hmm. have to, um, as ELCA Lutheran, do you raise the cup and the and the bread over your head at some point during the liturgy? I raise them up, but I don't raise them up that high. Okay, how so high probably, do you raise them up? Maybe eye level. I and mean, how, not and, you know. Why not? I mean, because in like. Episcopalians, I think, raise it over their head. Like, that's how they're taught. Right. I would need more yoga before I did that. (laughs) You're just lacking the flexibility. (laughs) Okay. So you're doing this um, hocus pocus, some might say. And you know there are people in your congregation who are rolling their eyes at consubstantiation. Like, give me a break. I come here because my wife makes me come every week. It's my kids like the youth group. You know, like, they go through these motions literally – Pastor yep. Keith goes through these motions, and yep. I'm going to go forward and take communion, even though I don't really believe any of this bullshit anyway, or whatever. Right. There's something in this dance, this almost lit. I mean, I was watching it with my wife, who, when she was in high school, was a liturgical dancer. And huh. I'm like, huh. There's, they're doing a liturgical dance. And we're kind of joking, like, this liturgical yeah. j- dance is magic. And then what it reveals at the last episode is, this liturgical dance does save lives. It does something real in the real material world. And of right. course, I think you're meant to think it doesn't matter if it's magic or not. All that matters yeah. is that they did it and it worked. So right. talk about that a little bit as someone who performs a physical dance mm-hmm. in some way, liturgical dance every week over these communion elements and how that uh, you know, intersects in your view with their dance uh, in the OA. Right. Yeah. And I mean, coming out of Holy Week, you also on top of that have the foot washing and the stripping of the altar. And so we were in this time, we we're very, you know, much into liturgical movement and, and sort of not even dance, but, you know, kind of the basics of liturgical movement. And I'm very much aware especially as so many people visited on Easter that we don't see usually until Christmas. I mean, there is an element of 
presiding that is performance art. You know, like, so people may not believe it, but somebody is doing it and maybe they're willing to participate because somebody wants them to be there or maybe they're willing to believe because it seems I believe it so deeply that people are willing to be open into it for something to happen. Um, but yeah, I'm just aware of ev- all of my movements, not just in the movements at communion, but walking down the aisle with my kids or the way I preach or how I am at the children's time. That's all performance art. You know, I mean it, but it's all performance art too. People are watching all of those things for, for different cues. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So th- I, I think that's right. And I, I mean, I think that's I actually, as a Christian theologian, that's like one of the fascinating things about the show is these, these bodily activities that she's basically has these disciples. It's, it's yeah. Jesus at the last supper is like, now I've washed your feet. Now go, I've set an example for you. Now go and do that. Well, does he mean go wash people's feet or does he mean, no, I mean this metaphorically, you know, or pick up your cross and follow me. Like, does he mean literally pick up a cross and follow like this? These <laughs> Like what's Jesus asking yeah, if you're uh, Ryan's m- doing some pluck mind. your eye, pluck your eye, dance, if you, pluck your if, eye. If, if your out, eye causes <laughs> you to sin, like pluck it out. Cut off. Your oh, hand. I thought you were doing the fifth movement. That's yeah, or doing. We, he's also <laughs> doing the fifth movement, which looks a little bit like plucking an eyeball out. So, what happens in season two of the OA? I'd love to hear your predictions. Oh my! Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? That when the first season finished, we didn't know if they were going to renew it or not. So that it definitely left you at the end with a lot more ambiguity. Uh, if there were no second season coming, um, there, there's no tie up, you know, where does she go? I think, I mean, there's part of me, right. Just as a watcher, like, I hope she finds Homer. Like there's, there's a hope in me. I don't think it'll, of course, I don't think it'll be that easy. <laughs> uh, maybe she goes back on episode one at the beginning of season two and she's there with Katoon again, this woman that she meets during her NDEs and, maybe sets her on another path. I mean, she could be an entirely different reality, right? Or entirely different dimension um, at that point. But I would imagine that if they're going to cover eight episodes or 10 episodes, there's going to be a winding road uh, to eventually bring her back to those folks who are in the mine. Yeah. I, when, when the show ended, I looked at my wife because we, by that, we didn't, wa- we just watched it now during Lent and I looked at her and I'm like, ah, I wish there weren't a second season, you know, because yeah. it's just it's it's a nice kind of standalone thing. And I, I worry, of course, I mean, they're brilliant people. And obviously, I mean, it's a fascinating thing because the showrunner is also plays the lead character and, you know, conceptualize the whole thing yeah. and stuff. So it's it'll it'll be fascinating. I, yeah. I think we're wondering about what other. Yeah. What are what are some other shows if. I know this is like asking an author just as they publish their book, what their next book is, but like, what are it looking back on the practices? Is this something that you would do again? And what are, what are shows that, what are shows that you're watching right now? What shows are you excited about that, that maybe we're not watching that we can share with listeners? Um, and I have Mm -hmm. some recommendations if you would like to know about some shows that I think you should watch. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and name yeah. those, which are The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu and oh, American yeah. Gods on Stars. I think you particularly oh. are going to appreciate both oh. of those. Um, yeah. But what about some shows, if you had to do this again, if you were doing something for Advent or for Lent? Right. 
Right. Well, I mean, first to your first question, I would absolutely do this again. This was such a good experience. It was fun to do with Martin. We've known each other a long time. We were sort of baby pastors together in New England and are doing lots of different things now. So it was great to spend all that time together working on this. And I think the format is something that, you know, works. I think also other people could borrow and use, you know, that's a great way. And I see some, I saw recently somebody, you know, that, Netflix show uh, 13 Reasons that's just now becoming super popular. Um, I, I saw some Episcopalians were doing a study guide on that, not in the same kind of format, using PDFs online and stuff. But um, So it's a replicable format. Um, in terms of other shows, uh, we have talked about Stranger Things. Um, that's, you know, we definitely are thinking about season two of The OA when it comes out. But yeah, I haven't been able to binge watch much else besides the OA because I binge watch it like three times in making this <laughs> series this Lent. Let me ask um, you that before you before we jump. Did it get better with repeated viewings? I thought it did get better with okay. repeated viewings. That's okay. a great question because there's tons of Easter eggs in the show. Like you can read all the blogs, which I didn't read before I watched it because I just wanted to take it right on. But yeah, there's. You see lots more each time. And I did develop this affection for the characters, you know, uh, like the BA, like the Misfits especially. Um, and I like the OA character. So, yeah, I developed a certain affection for them. So I do want to find out what happens to them in series two. Keith, that's great. Have you, has anyone reached out to you from Netflix? No, they have. I've pinged them on Twitter plenty of times, but I haven't heard back from anybody. No. That is par for the course in Hollywood. Yeah. Great <laughs> ideas come from somewhere else, and they just completely but, ignore them. But our experience with Hulu as a little, probably a little bit more hungry of a network. Maybe. Is mm. they reach, you know, they're, they've they've opened doors for us, given us advanced, yeah. you know, copies. Try, of, to, get, try to get this yeah. to Britt Marling, see what she says. Yeah, right. Hey, yeah. well. Yeah, without, Keith, without appearing to be a talker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she's got plenty of those. Well, Keith Keith Anderson, thanks for being our guest. He's the he's the author of the Digital Cathedral: Networked Ministry in a Wireless World. Great book, which is which Thank is you. out a couple years ago. Ryan, um, while you were while Ryan sent me a little note here saying he wants to be the editor of your uh, book, which is your you don't even know you have a book, but you have a book. <laughs> it's your it's your sermons. From Game of Thrones. Preaching in uh, Westeros. Let's call it Preaching in Westeros. <laughs> preaching in Westeros. I love it. I'm going to buy the URL as soon as we're off this car. <laughs> Do, it. Do it. Tony will publish it. I'll edit it. Yeah. Uh, it sounds awesome. So you got your next book. We can put a call for papers out. Well, th- thanks so much. And it's just great to talk to, you know, a, a clergy person who's such a savvy, uh, such a savvy consumer of of popular culture and the level of engagement. Yeah. Using it, using it in, in kind of marrying it with Christian theology and Christian ministry. It's fantastic. So we will definitely have you on again. And thanks a million for being our guest. Yeah. Thanks for being on guys. Appreciate what you do.